This is section ninety seven of Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain A Biography Volume one Part two eighteen sixty six to eighteen seventy five Chapter ninety seven The Walk to Boston the new home became more beautiful to them as things found their places as the year deepened and the wonder of autumn foliage lit up their landscape sitting on one side of the little upper balconies mrs clemens wrote the atmosphere is very hazy and it makes the autumn tints even more soft and beautiful than usual mr twichell came for mr clemens to go walking with him they returned at dinner-time heavily laden with autumn leaves and as usual clemens finding the letter unfinished took up the story twichell came up here with me to luncheon after services and i went back home with him and took susie along in her little carriage we have just got home again middle of afternoon and livy has gone to rest and left the west balcony to me there is a shining and most marvelous miracle of cloud effects mirrored in the brook a picture which began with perfection and has momently surpassed it ever since until at last it is almost unendurably beautiful there is a cloud picture in the stream now whose hues are as manifold as those in an opal and as delicate as the tintings of a sea-shell but now a muskrat is swimming through it and obliterating it with the turmoil of wavelets he casts abroad from his shoulders the customary sunday assemblage of strangers is gathered together in the grounds discussing the house Twitchell and Clemens took a good many walks these days, long walks, for Twitchell was an athlete and Clemens had not then outgrown the Nevada habit of pedestrian wandering. Talcott's Tower, a wooden structure about five miles from Hartford, was one of their favorite objective points, and often they walked out and back, talking so continuously and so absorbed in the themes of their discussions that time and distance slipped away almost unnoticed. How many things they talked of in those long walks they discussed philosophies and religions and creeds and all the range of human possibility and shortcoming and all the phases of literature and history and politics unorthodox discussions they were illuminating marvelously enchanting and vanished now forever sometimes they took the train as far as bloomfield a little station on the way and walked the rest of the distance or they took the train from bloomfield home it seems a strange association perhaps the fellowship of that violent dissenter with that fervent soul dedicated to church and creed but the root of their friendship lay in the frankness with which each man delivered his dogmas and respected those of his companion it was during one of their walks to the tower that they planned a far more extraordinary undertaking nothing less in fact than a walk from hartford to boston this was early in november they did not delay the matter for the weather was getting too uncertain clemens wrote redpath dear redpath 
Rev. J. H. Twichell and I expect to start at eight o'clock Thursday morning to walk to Boston in twenty-four hours or more. We shall telegraph Young's Hotel for rooms Saturday night, in order to allow for a low average of pedestrianism. It was half-past eight on Thursday morning on November 12, 1874, that they left Twitchell's house in a carriage, drove to the East Hartford Bridge, and there took to the road, Twitchell carrying a little bag and Clemens a basket of lunch. The papers had got hold of it by this time, and were watching the result. They did well enough that first day, following the old Boston stage road, arriving at Westford about seven o'clock in the evening, twenty-eight miles from the starting point. There was no real hotel at Westford, only a sort of tavern, but it afforded the luxury of rest. Also, said Twitchell, in a memoranda of the trip, a sublimely profane hostler whom you couldn't jostle with any sort of mild remark without bringing down upon yourself a perfect avalanche of oaths. This was a joy to Clemens, who sat behind the stove, rubbing his lame knees and fairly reveling in Twitchell's discomfiture in his efforts to divert the hostler's blasphemy. There was also a mellow inebriate there who recommended kerosene for Clemens' lameness, and offered as testimony the fact that he himself had frequently used it for stiffness in his joints after lying out all night in the cold weather, drunk. Altogether it was a notable evening. Westford was about as far as they continued the journey afoot. Clemens was exceedingly lame next morning, and had had a rather bad night. But he swore and limped along six miles farther to North Ashford, then gave it up. They drove from North Ashford to the railway, where Clemens telegraphed Redpath and Howells of their approach. To Redpath, we have made thirty-five miles in less than five days. This demonstrates that the thing can be done. Shall now finish by rail. Did you have any bets on us? To Howells. Arrive by rail at seven o'clock, the first of a series of grand annual pedestrian tours from Hartford to Boston to be performed by us. The next will take place next year. Redpath read his dispatch to a lecture audience with effect. Howells made immediate preparation for receiving two wayworn, hungry men. He telegraphed to Young's Hotel, You and Twitchell come right up to 37 Concord Avenue, Cambridge, near Observatory. Party waiting for you. They got to Howells about nine o'clock, and the refreshments were waiting. Miss Longfellow was there, Rose Hawthorne, John Fiske, Larkin G. Mead, the sculptor, and others of their kind. Howells tells in his book how Clemens, with Twitchell, suddenly stormed in and immediately began to eat and drink. I can see him now as he stood up in the midst of our friends, with his head thrown back, and in his hand a dish of those escalloped oysters without which no party in Cambridge was really a party, exulting in the tale of his adventure, which had abounded in the most original characters and amusing incidents at every mile of their progress. 
Clemens gave a dinner next night to Howells, Aldrich, Osgood, and the rest. The papers were full of jokes concerning the Boston expedition. Some even had illustrations, and it was all amusing enough at the time. Next morning, sitting in the writing-room of Young's Hotel, he wrote a curious letter to Mrs. Clemens, though intended as much for Howells and Aldrich as for her. It was dated sixty-one years ahead, and was a sort of looking backwards, though that notable book had not yet been written. It presupposed a monarchy in which the name of Boston has been changed to Limerick, and Hartford to Dublin. In it, Twitchell has become the Archbishop of Dublin, Howells, Duke of Cambridge, Aldridge, Marquis of Ponkapog, Clemens, the Earl of Hartford. It was too whimsical and delightful a fancy to be forgotten. This remarkable and amusing document will be found under Appendix M at the end of last volume. A long time afterward, thirty-four years, he came across this letter. He said, it seems curious now that I should have been dreaming dreams of a future monarchy and never suspect that the monarchy was already present and the republic a thing of the past. What he meant was the political succession that had fostered those commercial trusts which in turn had established party dominion. To Howells on his return Clemens wrote his acknowledgments, and added, Mrs. Clemens gets upon the verge of swearing, and goes tearing around in an unseemly fury when I enlarge upon the delightful time we had in Boston, and she not there to have her share. I have tried hard to reproduce Mrs. Howells to her, and have probably not made a shining success of it. End of chapter 97 The Walk to Boston Read by John Greenman